yeah. yeah, we can certainly, it doesn't matter. Life in Sense with Joe Barrett and Odette Toilette. Hello, I'm Shona Marshall and I am curator at Somerset House. Um, well, we have to go past the house because they don't really smell. And they're all reconditioned, so they're actually all the hats in the show are quite new. They're not a new incarnation, they haven't been remade but they've been restored, whereas the clothes have been conserved. So there's obviously a big difference between the two. <laughs> yeah, there's loads of clothes down there. People tend to whisper in there. Shout. I always like the idea that people be loud in exhibitions. Why do you have to be quiet? In 2010, three years after Isabella Blow's death, Daphne Guinness purchased her collection of clothing from Christie's at private sale before it went to auction. She saved it as she felt she didn't want it to be split up. She wanted it to stay together. Her and Isabella were great friends. And then in 2011, I was employed by Daphne to archive the collection. So I spent a year working on that, cataloguing, photographing and boxing and storing all these pieces. And then now, obviously, fast forward to 2013, November, we are opening the Isabella Blow Fashion Glore exhibition at Somerset House. And fast forward again three months and we're about to close it. So it's been a very long journey. I don't know how I feel when it closes been a real full circle situation to have worked on all stages of this process so I feel very lucky. I hadn't met Isabella Blow and I obviously spent a year working with her clothing in a storage unit on my own for three days a week and the clothes absolutely did smell of something and upon you know discussion is actually her smell so it's tuberose uh, she wore fracas, but then also heavy, heavy smell of cigarettes. She was a really, really heavy smoker. And that smell, actually for me when I catch it, which is really rare now, it brings me back to that point in my life when I started archiving. And it's this, this nostalgia about working on that project, which I loved actually. I really loved archiving her clothing. But it was a time of great change for me in my life. It's such a strong emotion and it's so intangible and so difficult to describe. And that's what Daphne would say in her, her family, her relatives, that the clothing really smelt of Isabella and in that sense it was very difficult for them to be near it, which is just completely understandable. I can't imagine. I, I'm always constantly surprised that they can come so freely to the exhibition without getting upset because it is her everywhere. And that, for me, if it was my sister, my friend, my co-worker, that would be a really tough experience. I don't know if it's one of the earliest scents I remember, in a chronological way, but I think it's, it's this optimism of spring. I always have this optimism, and it's... Oh, Anything is achievable. But I think cut grass is just... I think it's for everyone as well, and it's quite nice that you can share, like, oh, can you smell the cut grass? 
And it, it, it just reminds you of when your dad would get out and get the lawnmower out and you think, gosh, summer's coming, it's great, I'm going to have a summer holiday and the paddling pool and the climbing frame. And that's something that you can always trace back. But also this, the smell of, of spring flowers as well, which I don't know, I never know the names, but there's in embankment gardens... What is that tree? Oh, it just smells amazing. And it has done for weeks. And that's such... Oh, it's so optimistic. It's like, thanks, January, just giving me this tiny nugget of hope. And then February comes and, you know, you can start to see things waking up. I was getting off the train this morning and you see people wearing sunglasses, wearing, like, their special summer dresses and not (laughs) quite getting it right because it's still too cold. But... You can see this optimism in this. People have this kind of like self-consciousness about themselves because they feel good and optimistic and everybody's kind of on the same trip and it's really exciting. Well, actually, it's my worst thing in in life is inappropriate dressing. And when I get it wrong, I get really upset. You know, you wear sandals, you think it's somewhere and it's freezing and you're soaking wet because it rained 10 minutes after you left the house, but you're late, so you can't go back. And I mean, yeah, it really, really upsets me because you know those people are freezing, even though it's sunny. And I have a fur coat today. It's still quite cold, Um, but I'm always cold. I'm not a very solitary person. I love being around people. Um, However, I spent so much time on my own in my job. And I wasn't very good previous to doing that job, perhaps, at spending time on my own. And I actually reveled in it. I really enjoyed it. You would open every box and you had no idea what you would find. Um, So I was likened it to moving house or cleaning your bedroom, a real deep spring clean where you're moving pieces of a puzzle around in the hope that one day it's going to look perfect. I I work with a great girl called Holly who helped me photograph the pieces on mannequin because you can't do that on your own, you need two people. She was fantastic but it sort of felt a bit weird to share it with someone else. Did you have a sense that you were disappearing into another time, somewhere away from the present? Again, it's sort of a feeling. But there's a particular time period, this late 90s, mid-late 90s. And I think that period of time and the way she lived her life seems a very long time ago, but it's actually so recent. But she was of another age, and I think it was her that you felt. It wasn't a time or a tangible moment. It was her and the way she lived her life. You can't help but think she would have gone to dinner in this. It was such a sense of celebration. There was never any downtime. She was never wearing her tracksuit bottom. She was always fabulous, all the time. And I think that sort of starts to rub off on you. I start to think less about her and more... I guess because it's so object-specific, more about her relationships with these designers because all my focus in archiving was about these pieces and it wasn't about her, which is weird. But you would open bags and there'd be business cards, pens, chewing gum with the old Wrigley's packet design, which is just so, so sentimental. I just think it's really... um, but not sad, I don't, I don't know, spooky. Yes, so 
I hate oranges. I hate them. I've got braver as I've got older, um, but honestly, I would move from the top def- deck of a bus to the bottom. I hate them. And then if someone eats them in the office, I can bear it now because I'm grown up. So I can say, I'm scared of that smell, but I'm brave. But I love the smell of orange blossom perfume. What does it mean? <laughs> so- <laughs> I love the smell of neroli, which is that orangey smell that you add to perfumes, but hey, oranges. Uh, <laughs> it's not the fruit, so if you're comparing the flower to the fruit, they are different. I see. So it's got nothing to do with orange peel or the juice or zest, so even though they're kind of related, they're very, they've got very different quality. There is one kind of theory about why some people hate certain smells, and it is quite... Um, psychoanalytic in a way because often it's thought that somewhere back in your past you had some kind of traumatic experience involving the smell of oranges or whatever it is and that then you become conditioned to hate it perhaps the smell of orange and the smell of something else or something that happened to you set this off I agree I don't know what it is but I definitely agree it's such a violent thing I hate the smell and I don't mind orange juice. I don't mind the taste of orange juice. I would never eat an orange because of the smell and that freaky peel. I mean, I hate them and the piff. It's, it's not really the problem of what's inside the orange, but it's that journey that you have to go through to yeah. break into it yeah. and release that. Yeah, I'm not keen on, f- like, all the rigmarole of fruit does freak me out. Satsumas, is it all citrus fruit? All oh, satsuma, yeah. That's the same, they look the same. <laughs> they smell Just the same. Yeah, know. even it might be smaller, or is that the tangerine? Whatever. They're all the same, they're in the gang. Lemons, are they in the gang? No, I don't mind, I, I'm indifferent. Like, fine, if you want to put it in my drink, I think the pip's annoying, but I'm okay with it. Yeah. So it's a very unglamorous storage unit. No windows, hard floor, strip lights. <laughs> it was fascinating, really. I had this um, pink fur, mink fur, chaise long that had been Isabella's and it had been sold in the Christie's sale. And so Daphne had obviously purchased it. So it just came with. So that was there. And I'd sit on that. And then we had this... Perspex box that Daphne had lain upon, she used in Chul for the launch of her glove, the collaboration with Sean Lean, and everyone had had sort of drinks around her. So then they didn't have anywhere to store that, so then they sent it to the archive, like, oh, can you keep this in the space? Oh, sure. So that was sort of my desk. So I'd sit on this pink chaise long and just make, do do the catalogue. Yeah, so it's kind of a funny way of working, quite antiquated in a sense, but it is a very slow process. And I would walk in, I'd clean up, you know. You, it, it, was, it was really like your bedroom. It was really like tidying your bedroom. And you'd move one thing and then something else would go kilter. So you'd have to... And it was constant sort of reshuffle. And honestly, I could work there for the rest of my life. There are things that I found out from the exhibition. There are more things I could find out. You could always pack it better. There are more conservation kind of issues and problems. And I don't know, you never draw the line. So it's sort of difficult to say I finished archiving it because I absolutely haven't.
I love perfume. I, I wear it every day. And a girl in the office said to me, Christmas said, oh, what, you wear, wear it every day? I was without fear, if I haven't put it on, I don't feel dressed. I'm really fascinated by perfume, but very aware I don't know very much about it. But maybe it's our ignorance. I can't tell you the perfume still created between the 50s and the 70s. I probably don't know. And that's the thing, it, it, it's in your materialistic, kind of commercially driven relationship with perfume. And it happens quite young as a teenager, or not at all. You know, some people don't care about perfume. I really cared, and I had an older sister. And she used to wear Izumayaki, which I love, because of, it reminds me of her. It was really of that time, you know, in the late 90s, early 2000s. Or She had that angel, Terry Mugler. It's the most disgusting thing I've ever seen. It absolutely makes you feel sick. And my younger sister bought Terry Mugler, when she got a little older, cause she it reminded her more, and she wanted to be like our big sister. And I thought, you two stink, I hate you. And that's really weird that you have this relationship that two sisters would really like a smile, and I'd absolutely hate it. Maybe it goes back to the orange thing, because they, I mean, they're perfectly fine with oranges. I think maybe it's better to be more subtle. You know, maybe that's more an intelligent scent in itself, in, in the way that you're constructing yourself. You, you wouldn't wear outrageous clothes as you would like subculturally when you're a teenager you're part of this or that or possibly you may tone down you know the most chic women they don't smell very strong I don't know it's sort of perhaps it's my construction of what it means to be chic is to be subtle I don't know but um yeah maybe maybe I'll upset maybe I'll start bathing in it bathing in it again <laughs> <laughs> In the last few months, part of Somerset House has stank of fracker yeah. because it's in the gift shop for the exhibition, I think, and everyone sprays it on, and it's become such a kind of noticeable and pervasive smell. Do you, having worked with the clothes, and obviously they weren't just tuberose perfume because it was that plus all these other things, is it strange for you now smelling fracker, or have you disassociated tuberose from your experience cataloguing the clothes? I think it's a different smell. You know how they say smells sit differently on someone's body? You know, that freshly sprayed fracas is a very different smell from how it smelt on quite stale clothing that had been actually purchased two years before I got to them. So they'd been in storage for two years and then the rest, because actually Isabella had died three years before previous so I'm not 100% sure on the journey of the clothing and how it got to be at Christie's and the time frames but it certainly hadn't been on her body for a long time and also this this overwhelming smell of cigarette smoke that's not that that makes it a different smell too I think it's really fascinating because you can smell um people in the lifts and they're talking about the show and you can tell before they start talking about it that they've seen it and someone asked oh do you think that um what a what a wonderful idea to spray the scent throughout the galleries and why did you decide to do that and we didn't and we actually said we wouldn't because conservationally to smell to spray 
chemical smell in the air. It's not, it's not particularly damaging in the short term, but I think in the long term, over a three-month period, it would be. And also for the gallery assistants, it's a very heady smell. After a while, it makes you feel a bit sick. We spray one spritz in, in the office when... Um, my boss, director of exhibitions, had the meeting with the the gent from Fracar and she came back with this bottle and she sprayed it and said, we're going to s- sell it in the shop. And, oh, my gosh, it smelled all afternoon. Actually, oof, you know, really heavy smell. So we decide against that. And it's a complete accident, a happy accident, that it's, it disperses just enough to Le Dambler. Le Dambler was, was uh, held in spring summer, uh, it was Alexander McQueen's spring summer 2008 show. And it was a collaboration with him and Philip Tracy in memory of their dear friend Isabella who had passed away and by her, her own hand, you know. And so in that catwalk presentation, they decided to spray fracas all throughout the space. And it was very, 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 you know you know, emotive, and I think it was really emotional for everyone watching it who knew Isabella. It just it just comes through the space just enough to make you really enjoy that connection, if you knew. And so I think that's, that's a really nice... It's just a happy accident, really. And I think exhibitions are a mixture of that and a lot of planning. So, yeah... The two other collections are archived. One was Alexander McQueen's collection uh, after he he died. When it's a designer's collection, it's not theirs, so there's no scent, really. It might be the model, but they don't really wear it for long enough. So there's no sense of ownership. So I think, yeah, fabrics can smell funny just by their very nature. Have you ever, have you ever met polyamide? M- McQueen used a lot of polyamide, which is almost like, uh, looks like bin bag, wet look, kind of, yeah. There's a dress, actually, in, in, in the formal garden section of Isabella Blow where it, it's, a, it's black, black bustier dress made of that material. That would probably have quite a distinctive kind of chemically plasticky smell. But then again, I work Christian Louboutin, and that won't have any smell either because they're, they're again, the shoes are very evocative in, in, in the sense of telling stories because you, your footprint is literally cemented into the shoe on first, second wear. So much weight dispersed through that point in your body, your connection to the ground, uh, your walking, the way you walk, your gait... But these shoes again are, are kind of samples, and they're they're their marker of design processes, things that have been successful at different trends and reactions. So what they're carving out is a, is an archive in a different sense, and it's 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 more yeah design led rather than biographical. I met with Caroline Evans a couple of weeks ago, who's just the most wonderful, brilliant fashion historian and academic. She sees the world of clothes through this 
brilliant view where she'll make connections that you never saw possible. And she says she was talking to Tim Long, who's at the Museum of London. Um, he's a curator of dress there. And he was steaming an 18th century garment. And there was this very funny smell that started coming off it. And then a colleague walked in the room and said, what's that smell? He said, well, it's this woman from the 18th century. And I think clothes in that way are very, very, you know, they're vessels for holding so many stories even if you put on a jumper that you haven't worn for a couple of weeks and, you know, you've sprayed your perfume, you can smell it really heavily, but then as you wear it throughout the day, you can't sm smell your own perfume. And other people say, oh, you smell nice. And you think, oh, do I? You know, I've been at work all day. And I think that relationship to your clothes, your DNA, I mean, it's, it's, it's actually the reason why I'm most interested in, in fashion, fashion history and, and fashion curation, is to tell those stories because... Working on an exhibition at Somerset House like Valentino, again, that's that's a similar archive to McQueen or Christian Louboutin because they don't have the stories because they were kept to tell the story of the designer. And working on that exhibition, I became really fascinated with the women who bought the couture, the relationship Valentino had with these women, but how beautiful they looked, but often very very uh, in the shadows in their perfection. It wasn't... Some were showy. Not all, though. And some were just very wealthy, not famous. And I think that sense of elegance, that perfection, is really fascinating. And I would have been fascinated to show their clothing, in my personal opinion. And then you do start to get those signs of wear and tear, the, the smell, the... You know, I think... It's it's really wonderful coincidence that dress holds that because a ceramic or a painting doesn't. And you can tell its story, but in a very different way. But that's what dress, to me, why dress to me is so attractive. There's that kind of generic old clothes smell. I know the smell. I know exactly the smell. Sort of always coined as charity shop smell. Also, dust and dirt and over time, without care and attention, clothing can become very dirty whilst it's just sitting there because it absorbs everything. It absorbs its smells, not only of the wearer, but of, of, of wherever it's positioned. And if they're not cared for, they will become that sort of generic smell. And I think it is... It, but if we are to purchase that, do we not then clean it or dry clean it and make it our, our, our own? And then doesn't the cycle start all over again? And I think vintage is a very interesting kind of phenomenon. I was very obsessed with it when I was really young um, in terms of going to charity shop. And I loved the chase for what I might find. And so it gave you a real chance to develop your personal sense of style, and I think that's quite quite a lot of teenagers either love that or would completely hate that side of, of, of shopping. Um, but I thought it was so great, and you had so much time then. So time is on your side. You spend hours trawling. And I think that, that those pieces have now become very much mine. They were someone else's, but in giving them away to a charity shop or to a vintage shop or however they get there, the, the tracing of that, 
often it will be a manufacturer's gone out of business, they'll buy the ho- a whole lot and uh, that's more vintage shops that, that then sell them on, you know, beyond director. They'll make really big purchases like that, sift through the good stuff, give to charity the, the stuff or recycle clothing now is a big thing. But, um, yeah, so I think it, it is interesting to kind of restart that, that um, process for yourself and to then own them and then what happens to them. And I'm a hoarder of clothing, um, and I don't keep them archivally, and I don't ke- t- take care of them. I wear them, really love them, and that's it. And I'm not like Isabella Blow, I'll be honest about that. I take much more care of my clothing, and I don't have that sort of, oh, it doesn't matter, dragging in the mud attitude to things. But I do very much wear them, and I think that's the joy. I love them. Um, but I think it's... Um, yeah, it's, it's part of your own story, and you keep them, and then you... What happens to them? Would you give it to granddaughter or daughter? Or, you know, and sharing. I think that's something I, I'm interested in for the future. Life in Sense.